1: There is a hope Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies. From their walk with Christ, you'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Brody Fisher.
2: Good morning and welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're Matthew in, in Matthew 4 19 it says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Thank you for joining us today. I do have a special guest who I'll introduce in a little bit. Um, and thank you to Clint um gonzalez for that wonderful fade in music um let's pray father thank you so much for being here today with us father i pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you father that you would give us words to speak today and that you would be all about this show and we would not have to worry So we give this show to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, My name is Rhodey Fisher, and I'll be your host today on on The Road with Jesus. Um, Before I introduce my guests, I'd like to talk to you today about Matthew 5. Um, I brought up Matthew 5 um, several weeks ago when we talked about light and salt, how the Lord wants us to be light and wants us are salt to be salty. And um, and also, I think I brought it up when I said um, several weeks ago that I don't know anybody personally that got saved reading Matthew except Carrie, who's going to be our guest today. And um, it's interesting because um, if you hadn't heard that testimony, you'll have to go to a couple of shows past this, before this, um, to re-listen to his testimony. But we're going to talk about Matthew 5 today, and I'm going to start by reading 5. one all the way to um, 5.12. So here we go. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word. Um, and it says here, now when he saw the crowds, and he meaning Jesus, he went up to the mountainside And sat down, his disciples came to him and began to, and he began to teach them, saying, um, now we know that this is the Beatitudes, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." So, um, I just want to say a few words about that because if you remember, um, Carrie's testimony a couple of weeks ago, he said that he came to Matthew and he wanted to start with everything that was in red first. So this is the first chapter that he read, which was all in, you know, which, which is in chapter five because that's when the red begins. Um, but I do want to say a couple of things about Jesus. Um, it says here that when he saw the crowds, so Jesus saw the multitudes down here, he went to the mountain. Um, so this word that he's giving, um, which we call the Beatitudes or the Blessings or Sermon on the Mount, um, he's giving to his disciples. Because it says here, um, in um later on in verse 1, well, let me just read it again. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside. So the multitudes are down here. He went up to the mountainside and sat down. And I also read that um, the teachers would sit down and the people would stand up, although it's the other way around today. The people are sitting down and... The, the pastor, sit, you know, is standing up. But it says here that his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Well, this was really a teaching for the disciples. Um, I'm not sure if it was just the, the 12 disciples or there were more, but the disciples were giving this lesson. And this wasn't necessarily for the loss. But I'm captivated with the idea that Carrie read this and began to see that God was moving in his heart regarding this. So um, um, I I love the fact that Jesus sat down to teach his disciples, and that's really where we want to be, is we want to be at his feet as he teaches us. So, um thank you. So, I'm going to be introducing our um, speaker today, which is Carrie Hoffman. Uh, many of you remember, if you follow the show every Wednesday, that Kerry was here two weeks ago and gave his testimony. And um, I mentioned then that we met Kerry about 19 years ago when he accepted the Lord. And so, we wanted to welcome him again because... I got so many calls from people that said, could we have heard a little bit more from Kerry? We were really interested in him, you know, his testimony and um, things that he was saying about the Old Testament and and how that relates to us today. So I wanted to bring Kerry back. Uh, thank you, Carrie, for showing up.
3: Oh, you're very welcome.
2: And um, and in this time, ask more questions, not so much about his testimony, but um, the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament and different questions like that. So I'm going to start with, um, Carrie. welcome back.
3: Well, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for having listened to the first time I was on this show and all your wonderful reviews. I was very touched by such positiveness, such interest, such love. It really touched me, and I just want to thank everybody for that. I especially want to thank Rhody for uh, asking me to come on this show, and she's done a wonderful job in interviewing me. Her show itself is wonderful. She's a wonderful person dedicated to the Lord and His service. Uh, today, uh, I believe we've uh, decided to talk about two different subjects. The first subject being how, how how can somebody understand the New Testament better if they know the Jewish laws, customs, and traditions?
2: Right. I, I really wanted to uh, expound on that because um, if you understand some of those Jewish traditions and cultures that they had, um, it really opens the New Testament wider, For us to see a picture of that. And I I think when I first met you, Carrie, and um, we talked about you being a um, born-again believer Mm -hmm. as a Jewish person, I said to you, Carrie, did you happen to check out the scriptures that showed um, the Messiah, the picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and that can you relate it now to Jesus and You said you did.
3: Absolutely. So can we
2: start from there?
3: Um, Well, as I said in the – you want to talk about that? Uh, As I said in the last show, uh, I was able to see – I was – when I was – I went to um, Jewish religious schools Mm -hmm. from uh, kindergarten all the way to – through high school even into my first year of college. And there always seemed to be parts of the Bible we studied and parts we didn't. right and one of the areas of the Bible we never studied was the latter prophets from Isaiah on to Malachi. And when I questioned this, as I said last time, I was told not to study it because I wouldn't understand it.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Well, after becoming saved, and I started reading the Bible again, and I read the book of Isaiah, I saw many references to Jesus in Isaiah, blatant references, and also there were... Verses which spoke against the man-made rabbinical system and realized that the rabbis would not want me to read that because it would upend everything they were teaching. Now, I did find what I noticed as far as that goes is one might think that if you read the Old Testament in the original Hebrew, it would point more towards Judaism But if you read it in the translations, it would point more towards Christianity. But I found that not to be the case at all. Oh. I found that the original Hebrew actually points to Jesus more than the translations. Would it be okay if I gave you an example of that? Yes, I would love it. There are many examples of that. One of the examples is the story of the burning bush. Can I talk about that? Sure. The burning bush, Moses... Um, at one point, was out in the desert and came across a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consuming the bush. And he heard the voice of God coming from the bush. And God was telling him that he needed him to go back to Egypt and meet with Pharaoh and tell him he wants to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land of Israel. Okay. and Moses asked God what is your name what who should I tell them uh, spoke to me and if you read most English translations God responded with the ter- with the verse I am who I am this is what you should say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you that's in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. okay. But the original Hebrew does not say, I am who I am. The actual Hebrew, and I'm going to say the actual Hebrew is, "ehaya Asher ehaya." What that means, a literal translation is, I will be who I will be, not I am who I am. It's the future tense, I will be. And I wondered, why is God saying, I will be? Doesn't God exist now? Why would he say, I will be? But then I thought to myself, maybe this is Jesus who's talking to him in a what we call a Christophany, a representation of Jesus in the Old Testament, and maybe Jesus was telling Moses, I am coming. I will be on earth. I will come. I am the one who's going to come to earth in the future, and I need you to do this, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt into the land of Israel to prepare for my coming. Moses, you have a very important role here. You have to prepare the world for my coming, because I will be, and I need you to set up Israel so that I can come, so that I can be.
2: That's a really interesting concept. This is a curveball. I didn't see that coming, but that's good. Um, that's some, something to really ponder on. Um, but I also want to ask you if I may change the focus a little bit more. Um I wanted to ask you about um, when you were here. I spoke. Uh, I, I I talked about the beginning of uh, Matthew in chapter one, where it gives the lineage of Jesus Christ. Um, and I said at the time that Jesus met the royal line as well as the you know the seed of Abraham. Can we talk about that a little bit? Is that going to throw you no, uh, no. off a little bit? No, definitely. I, I really want to see what your thoughts were about following the lineage of Jesus Christ and how that, that um, shows up in, in the Word.
3: As it turns out, if you understand the Jewish laws and customs and traditions, you can much better understand uh, the birth of Jesus and how he is in the lineage of David. Okay. We know, for example, that the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David. Right. From his root, a a branch will bear fruit. Isaiah 11.
2: 11. Okay. Thanks.
3: And it goes on, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's clearly talking about the Messiah here, that the Messiah will come through the lineage of David. And in Jeremiah, in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So we see the prophecies that the Messiah has to come from the line of David. Exactly. But when we look in the New Testament, in Matthew okay, first of all we look in the New Testament in Matthew chapter one, and I'm not going to read the full lineage, but it clearly shows us that the lineage of David has descended down all the way to Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. So Joseph was in the direct line. So any child Joseph had would be in the direct line of David. But we also know from Matthew 1.18 that Mary was a virgin. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So one of the questions that I had at the time and that some people may have is, how can Jesus claim lineage from King David when Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit and God is his biological father? Would that not make him not from the uh, line of David?
2: Um, that's true, but doesn't it say in the Old Testament that he should come through a virgin? So, aren't the Jews Isaiah, really yeah. expecting it to come from God? Well, you see, this is
3: we have to reconcile the two. Oh, okay. We have to show that he was born of a virgin, but he was eligible to be considered in the line of David anyway. Okay. And this is where an understanding of the Jewish laws and traditions come in. Okay. Because although it said that Mary was pledged to be married, it was more than a pledge. In the Jewish religion, a, a wedding ceremony is in two stages, not one. The Hebrew terms for these two stages is erosin and nesuin. Now, I don't know of any words in English that define these exactly, so just for the sake of argument, I'm going to call Eroson betrothal, and I'm going to call nisuin consummation. But this betrothal is not like a normal engagement. It's actually a wedding ceremony. When you do the Eroson, you are legally married. You are married. And if you have an affair outside of that couple, it is adultery just as much as any other affair. However, you have not yet come together. Because the husband and wife, the bride and the groom, don't come together until the second stage of the wedding, which is the nisuin. Mm -hmm. Now, in Jewish weddings today, they do both stages at once. If you've ever been to a Jewish wedding. Which I have. The giving of the ring is the arison. The canopy, or the chuppah as it's called. And the fact that the husband and wife isolate for a few minutes afterwards, that's the nisuin. So in modern times, we do both at once. Mm -hmm. But in the biblical times, they didn't do it that way.
2: And what was the period of separation? Like you're married, but you're still living at your parents' homes. Each of you are at different homes. What is that time period? Well, my
3: understanding is that during that time, it was on the groom, the responsibility of building the house and getting it ready for his wife to come in. So they were married. He reserved her. Nobody else can, can be with her. And then he prepares the house where they're going to live and have their children. Once that's complete, they do the Nisuan, they move in together, and they can then start having children. Okay. Now, as far as the marriage of Joseph and Mary, they were in a state of arison. Okay. They were in a state of this committed betrothal. All right. They had not done the nissuing, the final consummation. That explains why Mary was a virgin. Mm-hmm. But there is also a law that when a couple is married and the woman has a child, that child inherits the legacy of the father. Yes. We have that in American law too. We yeah. call it the presumption of paternity. Right. The presumption of paternity, which is the same in both the Jewish tradition and in the American tradition, means as long as you're born to a couple and there's no evidence that she had had an affair, you are 100% the child of the father for all legal inheritance and legacy purposes. Okay? It's not only biology. In fact, in American law, if a man divorces his wife, has a DNA test, and proves the child is not biologically is. He is still on the hook for child support. That's true. This is true. Yeah. Now, you may ask, well, do you have any evidence of anything else in the Old Testament which shows that biological paternity is not necessary for legacy? And there absolutely is. And I am going to now talk about a different law, which doesn't really pertain to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, but shows the concept of you can claim inheritance without being the biological child. There is a law in Judaism, in English it's called Leveret Marriage, in uh, the Hebrew it's called yibum or Yevamos, the plural. And the law states like this, if a man is married and has no children and dies, it is the responsibility of his brother to marry the wife and any child they have claims the legacy of the original husband, the the uncle of the child, not the actual father. So if the brothers have two different legacies, for example, let's say they have the same mother but different fathers, the child goes after the legacy of the original husband. And this shows us that the concept of having a legacy without biology is a biblical concept. In fact, it even precedes... It even precedes the time that the law was given by God to Moses. Because there is a, an example of elaborate marriage in Genesis with one of the sons of Judah.
2: And where are we going? Genesis, Genesis.
3: 38,
2: chapter 8. You're giving me a workout here.
3: I know. We're moving around the Bible. Gen- Genithin- Genesis.
2: Gen- I mean, Gen- Genesis um, 38. 38. Okay, got it.
3: Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law and raise up offspring for your brother. So this is this even extends beyond the biblical torah Jewish law. This is this is something that predates it. Okay. Okay. So right. We established from this the, law the recap is that Jesus can legally and morally claim the legacy of David through Joseph, irregardless of the fact that Joseph is not the biological father. He clearly is entitled to that. Okay. So he fulfills the prophecy of being, you know, from David. Right. In fact, it's interesting because I just noticed this right now. In Isaiah 11, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, not the seed of Jesse. I just noticed really? that.
2: Oh, yeah. I see that, too.
3: From the, It would have normally said the seed of Jesse. Exactly. But he's not the seed of Jesse, but he is of the stump of Jesse.
2: Interesting.
3: Now, if, if I may, let's talk about the idea of legacy and genealogy in Judaism today, and then we'll contrast it with that concept in, for in Christianity. May I? Okay, sure. Today, in the Jewish people, genealogy is very important. You are not considered a Jew unless you are the child of a Jew, specifically the mother. It's interesting how whether you are a Jew or not is based on the mother, but which tribe you are from is based on the father.
1: That's the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two of this On the Road with Jesus episode. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rodie Fisher at rawfisher at com. Spelled R-A-H Fisher at on the RHODE with Jesus, dot com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhodey Fisher.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.